Yes, hello, this is Kenneth Anderson's podcast, and it's the 11th of March, 2021. The time is 17.40, and it is Thursday. Now, today we are still visiting the book about how parents can have a bad influence on uh, the child at a young age, um, and how that affects that uh, child in the adolescence and in the uh, teenage years and in the in the grown-up years so to speak and of course it's not going to be a pleasant read because it explains a lot of things that has perhaps been wrong with my childhood or perhaps been wrong with your childhood so the podcast tends to get a little bit too close for comfort of course so before we just start we just well take an analysis of who we are as a human and where we can where we can go from here because we also need to accept the fact that our childhood perhaps have had not been so pleasant and by accepting it and by doing the effort that it takes to get through it, I believe that a counselor or a therapist might help. Uh, but if you have had a lucky childhood, if you have had a, a good childhood with good parents, that then you have had an opportunity to address your personality in a different way, meaning that perhaps your parents encouraged you to stand on your own two feet, but also encouraged you to be a loving and caring and kind human being. So if you have had the parents that have raised you like this, and most of us have, well then, it should not be any problem reading this book. But it can be because perhaps when we meditate on love and kindness, not only for ourselves but also for others, that perhaps we can find that people close to us perhaps have had these uh, parents that have had bad influence on them. And if you realize that, how can you, in a comfortable way, uh, try to explain that to your friend? Try to explain that perhaps their bad personality traits comes from their parents. I'm not saying that every parent who neglected their children have ha have children today. Um, that have had these bad personality traits. But what I'm saying is that perhaps a person who constantly search and seek for other people's approval perhaps have had uh, parents who have not been able to nurture them in a, a good and profound way. And by doing that, they could actually mold that child in a different direction that that child today can see that perhaps I need to confront my parents about this. Perhaps I need to ask them in about why they neglected me as a child. Because by doing that, you are actually handing over what happened to you, to your parents. And that burden, and that burden you, you lift from your shoulder onto your parents and explain to them in a calm and collective voice that perhaps they are raising you, have had some issues, and you have had some issues with that. You can also have had some bad experiences from other people in your life that you need to work on and forgive. And I've been talking a lot about forgiveness in the last couple of podcasts because 
it's so very important that we forgive people who have wronged us in the past. Because by doing that, we also lift the burden, the grief that we carry around, the not-so-pleasant feelings we carry around, and we let go of them. So, so by forgiving uh, people's wrongdoings uh, towards us, we can actually heal and become better equipped in the future. Because when, once we meet other people who want to be our friends, then we can start to see not only their good quality traits, but also their bad ones. And by doing so, we also accept the fact that other people also have bad personality traits as well as good ones. And then you can start to grow as a human. Then you can start to realize that we all are flawed. We all uh, sometimes show bad personality traits that we later regret. And perhaps your parents, if you confront them with these bad experiences from childhood, perhaps they can also come to the realization that they also have something that they need to work on. Because my podcast is a lot about working on our personalities or our core beliefs or who we are, truly are as a human or who we truly want to be as a human. Because I believe that deep, deep down inside of all of us, we are uh, eternal love and kindness. But because we have had these bad experiences, we tend to clog up. We tend to mistreat or misguide our uh, inner love and kindness. We tend to block, uh, block it from entering reality. And by doing so, we become miserable. We become humans who kind of is like egocentristic. Because once we have turned, uh, turned this channel off, then we become uh, humans who always want to search for love and kindness from the outside. But really, we need to open our hearts for love and kindness on the inside. Because that's the only way we are going to truly feel happiness uh, in our lives. And then other people can also feel that, of course. They can feel that you as a human being are opening or trying at least to open your love and kindness towards other humans. And by doing so, they also feel that attraction to you. They want to get to know you because you are a pleasant person to be around. Not meaning that you are too good shoes, but that you, when you talk to another human being, you try as good as you can to be uplifting. Be a person who uh, uplifts the conversation, who tries to talk about love and kindness and compassion and being there for others, thinking about others besides yourself could actually be beneficial in your life. If you have a person in your life that constantly talks to you like that, I believe that person can actually heighten your mood, can actually be uplifting and can actually be a, a good experience in your life. And actually can also help you um, get in touch with your inner love and kindness. Because inner love and kindness, we all have it. Every person on the planet, all seven billion of us, we all have love and kindness inside of us. It was put there through our creator, of course. As I've been explaining many times, with the seven billion people, we all come from the same place. 
we all come from an egg and a sperm cell, which comes from an egg and a sperm cell, which comes from an egg and a sperm cell, and so forth and so on, meaning that we come from something that could be placed in the head of our top of a needle, but that could also be placed in the head of our top of a needle, that's our father and mother, but that could also be placed in the head of our top of a needle, that's our grandfather and grandmother, and so forth and so on. So of course, there is an intelligent creator behind it all. He is the creator of the universe. We could call him Jehovah God. And Jehovah God wants us to truly love each other, truly love ourselves, and get rid of all the bad emotions in our minds. But in order for us to do that, we need to come to the realization that everything we put through our eyes and ears greatly affect us in a negative or positive way. I call it the garbage can, because we all carry around a garbage can or garbage uh, bin, you could call it also. Mine persist of or have persisted of violent video games, violent movies, movies who portray people's, people's bad behaviors as something that you can allow yourself to be entertained by, the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the entire uh, media around the world constantly tells you what to fear and also gives you the solution to your fear. These are things in the garbage can. And of course, if you spend an excessive amount of time there, you will go. You are going to become miserable. You're going to actually feed your bad emotions. And by doing so, you shut off your heart, you shut off your love and compassion and kindness, and you get into a more angry mode, a more content mode, a more not-so-pleasant mode. And once we have conquered that, once we have come to the realization that perhaps it is what we put through our eyes and ears that greatly affect us as humans, then we can do something about it. It's really, really quite simple. Uh, garbage in, garbage out, so to speak. But also love and compassion and kindness in you get also love and compassion and kindness out. So what I mean by that is, if you read books like um, the Dalai Lama or any of the other self-help books, I highly am going to suggest this because feeding your mind with good, positive human beings that truly wants to change the world to a better place, it it provides you with with the ballast, with a certain amount of what you call it muscles, in order for you to cope and deal with the negative stuff that also occurs in the world. But by holding yourself away from the garbage can, you can start to mold your mind in the direction that you want. So by feeding your mind with good, positive human beings that has been written book for many years, or perhaps even on the internet, you can also find a lot of people who uh, truly want to a better human race. And they have a lot of podcasts out there. You can just search for self-help or self-love. And by listening to these human beings, I believe that you are going to be affected in a positive way. And this positivity that you allow yourself to enter your life will truly change who you are as a human. Meaning that, of course, we all have this love and kindness inside of us, but by changing your perspective or getting rid of all the clutter, you can enter your love and kindness mode. And that mode is who you truly are as a human being. And once you do that, you truly feel as a human being. You allow yourself uh, love and kindness and happiness to enter your life once you get access to the heart, to the love and kindness which is in all of us.
so let's just say that perhaps um, this book is not so pleasant to listen to, but perhaps it tells us something that we need to work on. We need to accept, we need to forgive, and we need to move on. And it's, of course, the two first parts here who are the most difficult, because we need to work on it, we need to accept it, we need to forgive also can be very uh, troublesome. And also, once we forgive, we need to truly forgive, not just on the surface, but truly forgive, so that we also forget about what happened in the past. So that we do not carry around this burden all our lives. And it can be an uphill battle. And of course, I will highly suggest that you uh, seek uh, professional help um, if you are in one of these categories of bad parental or parenting. You could also be smothered. Overprotection or overprotected parents could also have a bad effect on you. That they have not allowed for your personality to develop, but you are actually developing your parents' personality instead uh, through you. And that should also be something to take into consideration that perhaps you have to work on yourself regarding this. Perhaps you have to confront your parents if you also have these personality traits. So I'm not saying that just because you have had violent parents, uh, of course, I'm not neglecting that or diminishing that, of course, that you have had a bad uh, experience in your childhood uh, when comparing to uh, over-smothering parents who perhaps showed too much love and compassion and kindness. I know it's not, it's of course impossible to do that, but in the process of doing that, they have smothered their child. They have been afraid of that child to stand on its own two feet. And, and by doing so, they have actually caused more uh, problems in that person's uh, adult life. So we need to be aware of the fact that a lot of us carry around something that we need to work on. And, and working on them can actually be beneficial, not only for you, but also for your friends. Because your friends will notice when you start to make a positive change. They will ask about it, well, what the hell happened? Very strange that you all of a sudden are a happy human being. You were miserable and you had a bad mood all the time. Well, perhaps you should seek a counselor. Perhaps that's the solution. A psychiatrist who can help you cope and deal with these bad traumas in your childhood. And of course, in that process, you're going also going to uplift your friends. And if your friends, you can actually become more compassionate about working on your friendship. Because all of a sudden you have accepted the fact what has happened in your childhood. And in the process you also you open up for the love and compassion within you. And persons in your life is going to feel that and ask about it. And perhaps they also have some issues on their own that they, when they work on them and accept them and move on, perhaps they can actually become more happy and content human beings. Every time you get up in the morning, you feel a rush of happiness because a new day is, is born and you have an opportunity to show love and compassion and kindness not only to yourself, but human beings that you meet on your way. So having a good positive outlook on life, we all need that, especially uh, during these troublesome times 
when, yeah, of course I can only say it once, but when the when the government is trying to kill us through the vaccines, we can might as well accept this um, because I know it's a fact, and I know that the next seven or eight years is going to be very, very troublesome unless people do not accept this to be a fact. Otherwise, we are all going to be vaccinated to death. And this is not something that's very pleasant to think about. I've been talking about this for seven or eight years, so that's why I'm not talking about it as much as I used to do, because now it's here. Now people need to take a stand against it. And by taking a stand against it, you are actually taking a stand for love and kindness and compassion. Because showing love and compassion and kindness towards your fellow human being, you show the creator of the universe that you are on his side, that you are on the side of good, that you are on the side of love and compassion and kindness, not only for yourself, but also for people who you meet in your path of life. So, without further ado, let's just start reading. <laughs> and of course, I have given you a little bit of a warning. It uh, it tends to get uh, a little bit close, uh, f- uh, maybe even for comfort, but I also think that it is going to be beneficial, not only for myself, but also for you, uh, the listener. So let's just take this one. Resolve your relationship with your parents and other abusers. Unresolved relationships will continue to bother you and negatively affect your life until you get things out in the open, giving room for healing. Resolving a relationship with a parent or other abusers may involve any or all of the following. Forgiveness, reconciliation, temporary separation or divorce. Forgiveness. There is no doubt that forgiveness frees us. Forgiveness has the power to heal our bodies, our minds and our spirits, our very lives. But we need to make sure we aren't forgiving just because we think it is the right thing to do or because we are giving in to pressure from others. And we need to make sure that we are not just using forgiveness as another form of denial. True forgiveness occurs only when we allow ourselves to face the fact or truth and to feel and release our emotions, including our anger, about what was done to us. It is completely premature to forgive if you haven't even acknowledged that you were harmed. Alice Miller's note uh, notes that when children are asked to forgive abusive parents without first experiencing their sorry without first experiencing their emotions and their personal pain, the forgiveness process becomes another weapon of silencing. The same is true of adults who rush to forgiveness. Many people have been brainwashed into submission by those who insist that they are less than if they don't forgive. Many people think that forgiveness someone sorry many people think that forgiveness or forgiving someone who hurt them is the same as saying that what happened to them was okay or that it didn't hurt them but forgiveness doesn't mean that what happened was okay it simply means that we are no longer willing to allow that experience to adversely affect our lives Ultimately, forgiveness is something we do for ourselves. The information in chapter 7 will further help you to forgive your parents. Reconciliation. Even though you may have forgiven your abusers, you may not feel safe to be around him. Many survivors of childhood abuse have stopped seeing their parents or other family members as a way to protect themselves from further abuse. This is especially true for those who confronted their abusers in the past but did not activate or achieve positive results. If your abusers is not 
open to looking at what he has done to damage you or continue to abuse you in the same way he did when you were a child or present or, or sorry or present a threat threat to your children you may need to continue to separate from him or even divorce him for more information on this refers to my book divorcing a parent on the other hand if your abuser has shown some capacity for understanding your pain and some willingness to take responsibility for his actions however small that capacity and willingness may seem there may be hope for the relationship this is also the case if you have noticed that your abuser has been open to your attempt at setting limits and boundaries before you reconcile ask yourself the following question number one am i strong enough to be around this person without losing ground in my recovery number two can i maintain a sense of emotional separation from this person when i am in his presence number three Am I strong enough to set appropriate limits and boundaries so that I do not allow myself to be abused any again, abused again? Number four. Am I being pressured into reconciliation by other family members, by my spouse, by guilt, or by my religious beliefs before I am actually ready? Number five. Is this person ready to reconcile with me? Is she still angry with me for being angry with her, for not having seen her for a while, or for bringing the abuse out in the open? If so, she may need more time to heal and forgive, no matter how forgiving you might feel. If you can't answer yes to question number th- one through one, two, three, and five, and no to question four, sorry, if you can't answer yes to question one, two, three, and five, and no to question four, you may need to wait a while before attempting a reconciliation. Facing the pain and confusion of emotional separation. Emotional separation often involves emotional pain. It can be painful to face the truth about your parents, to question their belief and the lessons they taught you, to stand up to them, or to disagree with them today. Separation brings losses, and even though they are necessary losses, they are still painful. You may have to give up the false hope that your parents will one day be the kind you have longed for and deserved. This loss can be especially painful. Emotional separation can also create internal conflict. You may realize that taking care of yourself and being true to yourself will necessitate going against your parents' wishes and beliefs. This may cause you to feel you are being disloyal to them. You may validate between conflicting emotions such as wanting to recapture a real or imagined sense of family closeness and a desire for revenge or compensation from your parents. At one moment you may feel like you want nothing to do with your parents or other abusive family members, And at other moments, you may worry that you might be disowned. It is especially challenging to distinguish between the negative internalized messages of your parents and the health messages of your true voice. Emotional separation involves the ability to hold the tension of two opposites. Although it is important to face the truth about your parents' mistreatment of you and to allow yourself to be angry with them, It is also important to realize that your parents were themselves mistreated. It is important to understand that you didn't deserve the way you were mistreated and neither did your parents deserve the way they were mistreated. Although your parents were not responsible for what happened to them as children, they are responsible for what they did to you. You will find that you will continue to grieve over the losses of your childhood throughout the separation process and that it will be a significant part of your healing. Your parents no doubt experienced losses in their childhood but were not able to grieve over them. This contributed to their repeating what was done to them. By facing your grief, you reduce your own need to abusive sorrow. You, by facing your grief, you reduce your own need to abuse others.
While emotional separation often takes time and support of others, such as supportive friends, family members, therapists or self-help groups, people who have been able to complete these steps report feelings as though they are finally taking the resonance in their lives. Sorry, rain in their lives. Psychological truth of the week. Those who have a history of abuse or neglect tend to remain immersed with their parents out of a desperate desire to get what they did not get when they were children. Mirror therapy assignment number six. Number one. Review this chapter and write down with which aspects of emotional separation from your parents you are currently working on. Declaring your independence. Questioning your parents' values and beliefs. Setting healthy limits and boundaries. Completing your unfinished business or resolving your relationship with your parents or other abusers. Number two. Note how long you have been working on this phase, what tools you used, and what you feel you still need to do in other sorry in order to complete this step. Number three, write about which step you have the most anxiety or fear about, or which step seems to be the most difficult for you. Now we come to number seven. Quitting and countering your inner critic. Quitting and countering your inner critic. It's hard to fight an enemy who has outpost in your head. Let me listen to me and not to them. So let's just analyze this. We have we have heard this many times uh, in this book that we need to confront our parents. We need to set boundaries. We also need to be aware of the fact that perhaps we have had some emotional wounds that we need to confront our parents with in order for us to have a certain amount of relief from them. Because the relief also means that we need to get through the pain and grief it is to confront our parents. Let's just see if uh, I can... You listen your critical yeah, let's just see here. Let's do like this. So let's just uh, let's just read out loud here because I have <laughs> because it can be very emotionally traumatizing for you to to actually come to the realization that perhaps I have had a childhood that was not so pleasant than other human beings have had. And coming to that realization can actually help you cope and deal with it, can actually help you start your journey to a no more pleasant, uh, pleasant, pleasant uh, place in your life. So we need to quit and countering our inner critic. This is the inner voice that I have been talking a lot about, how we turn that voice down. This critic that constantly critique us and tell us bad things about ourselves and others because that is going to help us deal with the emotional grief, perhaps even the fact that we have had something or that inner voice has something to do with our parents. So, People who were emotionally abused or neglected in childhood tend to have much in common, including a tendency to continually evaluate themselves, judge themselves harshly, and set unreasonable expectations and standards for themselves. Unfortunately, even though these tendencies may be a direct result of how your parents treated you, they don't go away just because you have successfully separated from your parents. These tendencies can hang on, regretful legacy of the childhood abuse or neglect you experienced. My client Connie describes herself this way. I'm an educated woman, but I feel so incompetent and stupid most of the time. I constantly compare myself with other people and always end up feeling inferior in some way. 
I am constantly amazed how other people seem to be able to speak up and not worry about whether what they say is going to be negatively judged by others, because I'm always afraid I'll say something that will uh, let other people know just how incompetent I really am. Other people tell me that they are impressed with how much I know and what a good job I do, but I don't trust others' assessment. Sorry, others' assessment of me. I always think they just feel sorry for me and are trying to build me up. I can't take in their compliments, even those from close friends. No matter what other people tell me, based on my own criteria, I'm just not good enough. Connie can't relax and enjoy her life because she has a powerful inner critic who dominates her every actions. If you identify with some or all of Connie's feelings, you also have a powerful inner critic. The following questionnaire will help you determine just how powerful your inner critic is. Questionnaire. Determining the strength of your inner critic. Number one. Do you spend a great deal of time evaluating your performance, your appearance, your ability or your past history? Number two. Do you set very high standards for yourself? Number three, is it difficult to live up to the standards you so you use to judge yourself? Number four, do you give yourself little breathing room to make mistakes? Number five, is your underlying sense of self often determined by your belief regarding what is right and wrong? Number six. Is your sense of self often determined by whether you have met your own or others' standards? Number seven. Do you spend a great deal of time worrying that you have done something wrong? Number eight. Are you continually plagued by critical messages inside your head that you are unable to quiet or quit? Number nine. Do you constantly compare yourself to others or to the success of others? And number 10, are you often envious of others' successes or achievements? Sorry, envious. Are you often envious of others' successes or achievements? If you answered yes to many of these questions, your life and your experience of life are being dominated by your inner critic. Your inner critic. Sorry, I just have to see how long time I have left. Ah, 20 minutes. <laughs> a person raised by nurturing supportive parents normally develop an inner critic who represents internalized rules and consequences. This inner critic causes him to feel signal anxiety when completing an action that goes against his value system, as well as guilt and sometimes depression if he actually transgresses. In this way, a healthy inner critic provides self-imposed punishment that keeps a person's behavior under control of his or her system of morality. But anxiety, guilt and depression are kept within reasonable bounds because his conscience is molded on his parents' responsible attitudes or reasonable attitudes. We internalize the inner critic and its standards to keep our parents with us and to give ourselves a sense of protection, safety and imagine power over ourselves and reality. People who have been neglected or abused do not have a reasonable inner critic, also known as the superego or the judge. Everyone has a critical inner voice, but people who were emotionally abused or neglected tend to have a more vicious or vocal inner critic. Theirs is a perversive yet often invisible presence in their lives. Sorry, a per yo, it says perversive. Perversive yet often invisible presence in their lives. The pathological critic is a term coined by the psychologist uh, Eugene Sagan to describe the negative inner voice that attacks and judges us. A loud Verbous inner critic is emotionally poisonous to our physical health or psychological health. More so, in fact, than any, than any trauma or depri deprivation you have experienced. 
We can often heal our wounds and recover from our losses, but the critic is always with us, judging us, blaming us, finding fault with us or in us. Your inner critic likely treats you with the same lack of understanding and acceptance that your parents did when you were growing up. One of its major jobs is to motivate you towards unreachable ideals. It keeps edging you on to reach that perfect image, never letting you rest or feel satisfied. Our inner critic's function is to maintain the status quo in two ways. It keeps us away from what is considered to be dangerous or unmanageable parts of ourselves. And it directs us towards whatever ideals it feels will make us an acceptable, successful person. It constantly admires us with comments like, Don't do that. It's demanding. Its demands are never ending. And the actual feelings we are left with is, I am not good enough and I never will be. Your inner critic, or judge, not only evaluates you according to its own standards, it also constantly compares you with other people. Comparison is closely related to self-judgment, so, mo- most so much so that if you are comparing yourself to someone else, you are also judging yourself. For example, when you are doing well according to one standard, there is always someone who is doing better with whom you can compare yourself. When the inner critic is in control, comparison is always oriented towards determining worth or value, that is, who is better. If you are different from someone in some way, this means that one of you must be better than the other. Celsi caused herself a great deal of pain by constantly comparing herself to others. For example, when she goes out with her girlfriends, she tends to stay quiet and listen to their stories as they talk about their children or their latest accomplishment, she feels like such a failure by comparison. Her friends' children seem to be so well-adjusted compared to hers, and her friends all seem to be moving up in their careers, while she feels stuck doing the same old job. On the way home, her inner critic reminds her for being such a bad mother, for not staying in school long enough to get a degree, and for a multitude of other things. By the time she reaches home, she is deep in depression. How to identify your inner critic? The sad truth is that it doesn't matter what you have accomplished in life, how much success you experience, how beautiful or handsome you are, or what efforts you make to raise your self-esteem. If you have a powerful inner critic who chastises you constantly or who discount your accomplishments or achievements at every turn, your self-esteem will always be low. The first step to quieting your inner critic is to identify it inside yourself. Your inner critic has many rules, or sorry, has many roles. It is that part of you who creates rules describing how you ought to behave and then screams at you that you are wrong or bad if if your needs drive you to violate its rules. Blames you for things that goes wrong. Calls you names such as stupid, ugly and weak and makes you believe that the names are true compares you to others, especially to their achievements and abilities, and finds you wanting. Sets impossible standards of perfection. Tells you to be the best, and that if you are not the best, you are nothing. Beats you up for the smallest mistakes. Keeps track of your failures or shortcomings, but doesn't remind you of your accomplishments or strength. Exaggerate your weaknesses by telling you that you always screws up a relationship, never finishes what you started, or always says stupid things. If you were 
If you were emotionally abused as a child, the chances are high that your inner critic is undermining your self-worth every day of your life. Its voice is so insidious, so woven into the fabric of your very being, that you seldom, if ever, notice its devastating effects. Your inner critic may be experienced experienced consciously as a thought or a voice, but most of you are unaware of its habitual activity. Usually, we only become aware of it during stressful situations when our shame is activated. For example, when we make a mistake, we might hear an inner voice that says something like, what an idiot, or there you go again, can't you get anything right? Before giving an important presentation at work or a speech in front of a class or group, you might hear, you should have prepared more, you are going to make a fool of yourself, or everyone is going to see how nervous you are. Mariana, the woman who you met earlier, who could not look in the mirror and who suffered from severe depression, described her inner critic like this. I have a voice inside my head that is relentless. All I hear is, you messed up, you didn't do it good enough, you are a failure. Even when you do become aware of the attacks, they can seem reasonable and justified. The judging in a critical voice seems natural, a familiar part of you. But if, but with every negative judgment, every attack, your inner critic weakens you and tears you down or tears down any good feelings you have about yourself. Your inner critic often appears as your own voice, making it seem as if you are the one who has these notions about what is right, what is necessary, or what thing or what things mean. But make no mistake about it. The voice you hear is not yours. It belongs to someone who lives inside you, someone you are brought along with you on your life's journey. By paying attention to your self-judgment, you will begin to realize that they, they were learned from others. These standards can actually run counter to what you yourself want, feel or know to be true. Unfortunately, even when you realize the voice is not yours, you cannot separate from it. Hard as you may try not to, you continue to watch yourself, keeping track of your plus and minuses, sorry, pluses and minuses. You continue to feel watched by those around you and who fear their disapproval, indifference or rejection. You see your own judge in others as well as hearing it inside yourself. You begin to realize just how little control you have over this judgment process. You are at the mercy of a critical, putative attitude, a manifestation of your self-destruct, sorry, self-distrust and self-hatred. Self-distrust and self-hatred. Exercise. Exercise your inner critic slash your parents. Number one, take some time to write about what your parents wanted from you and for you. Who did they want you to be and why? How did they communicate this and how did it affect you? Number two, explore the way in which your inner critic or judge, judge acts like your mother or father. How does the way you relate to yourself reflect how they related to you? How to disengage from the inner critic. The second step is learning how to disengage from your inner critic or judge, judge is to observe yourself closely while you are experiencing an attack. This will not be as an easy task. It will require you to stay present paying particular attention to your body and your emotional reaction. Number one, pick a self-attack you have recently noticed or one that is very familiar to you. For example, telling yourself you are stupid when you make a mistake or judging yourself harshly in comparison to someone else. Number two, if all possible, find a time and place to be quiet so you can stay with your inner process. Number three, 
Focus your attention away from the outside to the inside, from the judge and its messages to your inner self and how the messages are affecting you. Observing your experience in this way will help you to expose more of the emotional layer of that experience. Number four. Once you have become aware of the feelings that are triggered by the attack, either write them down or speak them out loud. Number five. By staying with your feelings, you may sense that feelings sorry, that feeling this way is a familiar experience. In fact, it probably has happened many times before. Staying with the feeling that comes up will also tend to open you to associated feelings and beliefs about the situation. You may discover a different or deeper understanding of the current attacks as we call earlier experiences. You may notice that you are remembering not only an incident, but also an entire cluster of beliefs body sensations and other senses such as smell, sound or visual images. These may all fit together to create a complete experience. Externalizing your inner dialogue. The critical voice can be activated in any situation in which you find yourself feeling vulnerable or exposed. Once activated, a shaming spiral is set in motion that has a power of its own. Therefore, it is important. Sorry. Therefore, it is Im- imperative. It is imperative that you externalize this internal dialogue, because it is one of the major ways you keep yourself feeling bad about yourself. It will help you make the internal dialogue continuous, as well as. Sorry. It will help you to make the internal dialogue conscious as well as take away some of its power over you. Exercise Exposing your inner critic. The following is an anticipation of a gestural therapy exercise. It was developed to expose the inner self-critical dialogue that many of us have going on in our head without realizing it. Number one, sit comfortable with your eyes closed. Imagine that you are facing a mirror and are able to look at yourself as you sit in the chair. In the chair. Notice how this image, this person who is facing you, is sitting. What are you wearing? What kind of facial expression do you see? Number two. Now criticize this image of yourself as if you were talking to another person. It works best if you talk out loud. Tell yourself what you should and shouldn't do. It will help if you begin each sentence with you should or you shouldn't. Criticize yourself for several minutes, allowing everything you can think of to come out. Pay close attention to your voice as you criticize yourself. Number three. Imagine that you change places with the person facing you, the image of yourself in the mirror. Become the person who was criticized and answer the the changes. Answer the charges, sorry. What What do you say in response to these critical comments? What does the tone of your voice express? How do you feel as you respond to this criticism? Number four, switch role and become the critic again. As you continue this dialogue, be aware of what you say, how you say it, the tone of your voice, and how you feel. Pause occasionally to listen to your words and to let yourself experience them. Number five, continue to switch role whenever you feel like it, but continue this dialogue. Notice what is going on inside you as you do this. Notice how you feel both physically and emotionally in each role. Does the voice that is doing the criticism sound like anyone you know? What else are you aware of in this interaction? Continue this dialogue for a few minutes longer and notice any changes as you continue. Number six. Sit quietly and review all that transpired during this dialogue. You may wish to write down your feelings and insights. 
For example, you probably experienced some kind of split or conflict between a powerful, critical, authoritative part of you that demands that you change, and another less powerful part of you that makes excuses, apologies, or aviates the issue. It may seems it may seem that you are divided into a parent and a child. The parent, or in Galastus lingo, the top dog, is always trying to get control to change you into something better. And the child, or underdog, is continually ev- evading these attempts to change. You may have noticed that the demanding critical voice sounds like one of your parents, or perhaps someone else in your life who makes demands on you, or another authority figure who controls you. Talking back to your inner critic. Let's see how long time we have left. Yeah, this one here. Taking back, oh sorry, talking back to your inner critic. Your self-esteem has no chance of improving as long as you are constantly being bombarded by the negative messages from your inner critic. One of the most powerful ways of quitting and countering your inner critic is to talk back to him or her, literally, just as you would not allow a bully or time to relentlessly criticize you or put you down. You cannot allow your inner critic to continue to wear away at your self-esteem. Most people are very uncomfortable with the idea of talking back to their inner critic because the inner critic is usually created by their parents' messages and may actually take on the form of one of their voices. It may feel as if they are talking back to their parents. If you are still intimidated by your parents, this can be a frightening prospect indeed. If the idea of talking back to your critic scares you, start off slowly, doing it only when you feel particularly brave and strong. The following phrases have proven to be particularly powerful in silencing an inner critic. Choose the ones that feel good to you, that empowers you, that makes you feel angry. Shut up. Stop it. This is poison. Stop it. Get off my back. This is garbage. These are lies. These are the same lies my mother told me. I don't believe you. No more put-downs. Go to hell. Catch the critic just as he starts, before he is allowed to weaken you or do much damage. Internally scream at the critic so you can drown him out with your anger. If your inner critic screams back, yell even louder. You may even need to yell out loud. Profanity is perfectly healthy and may empower you further. If you do this whenever you hear your critic voice, you will find that his attacks will diminish in frequency. And now we come to when your inner critic becomes a saboteur. 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 Yes. But this is for a different podcast because we have reached the hour now. So this was a quite a handful, I must say. So this inner critic that I, that I have been talking a lot about, how can we counteract that inner critic? Of course, we can say no to that inner critic. We can try as, as good as we can when we feel that inner critic come up inside of us to speak out loud, to say stop, no. That is the same thing that my mother or father told me. This is a lie. And by doing so, you are actually taking back your life. You are actually taking back your inner voice. You are actually saying no to the inner critic and starting to mold your inner voice in a more profound way. And that can help you to cope and deal with life in the future. That can actually can actually make you become a stronger person, a person that can actually say no to this inner critic, but also no to other people's criticism. And also perhaps even confront your parents in the past 
who have done these uh, bad things to you or talked uh, about you in this bad way. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. I know that it went a bit further or a bit too close for comfort, but I believe that confronting our past, confronting the bad things that has happened in our past, can actually help us because it can make us accept them, but also it can make us move on. It can quiet our inner critic so much so that perhaps we can answer this love and kindness that we all have deep within our hearts. So with these words, I wish you a good day. This is Kenneth Anderson signing off. It is the 11th of March 2021. The time is 1842 and it is Thursday. Bye.